So, we're making a podcast. We are. It's It's been a while coming. Yeah, yeah, I'm very excited, actually. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, I think it's pretty cool that our first episode has a pretty cool production value. I mean, we sound pretty great, right? Yeah. Some of us do. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been only about, how long have we talked about this? It's been a few months. Yeah, three months. Yeah, I think Kai and I have been talking among us for like multiple years. I think it's been eight years. <laughs> I also just looked into, uh, bef- before we started recording, when I started listening to my first podcast, and I was actually um, pretty much exactly 13 years ago from today. Oh, wow. Yes. What was your first podcast? Um, Film und so, which is a German podcast. For uh, people who don't speak German, that means movies and so. And such. And such. 13 years ago. 13 um, years ago. Was I alive? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So this is sort of related. Um, do either of you remember the Pebble smartwatch? Yes, yes. I do. Okay. So a few years ago um, when Pebble was had not been bought by Fitbit yet and was still receiving updates, they had, a, they had an event overnight. And because I really liked the Pebble, similar to when Apple have an event, I decided to wake up at like four in the morning or whatever time it was to watch this event. And... Um, a friend and I, we watched it, uh, like, we were both awake, but, you know, we each at our respective houses, um, and we were meant to record a podcast on the event after, you know, just, like, see how see how the podcast thing goes. I didn't even and know Pebble had events. Pebble no, had events. What? Uh, the, how many things did they talk about in that event? They introduced a new watch. I forget which event it was exactly. It wasn't... So, this is the thing. The podcast never happened because the event was so boring. It was the <laughs> CEO getting out in front of a webcam, I'm pretty sure, on, like you know, whatever crappy webcam he had on his laptop and just talking about the new product for half an hour. And it was like, we have nothing to talk about. <laughs> so that podcast never happened. So I'm glad this one started. <laughs> uh, Do you want to talk about the new Pebble? I really like my Fitbit. <laughs> <laughs> you told me earlier that you're still missing your Pebble sometimes. Yeah, it's a, it's a good device. What do you like about it? did not have to charge that thing every day. Oh, you know. Why can't you use it anymore? I have an Apple Watch. <laughs> <laughs> you, don't, you do know you have two wrists. I actually did go through a, a period where I wore both for a bit and compared the pair. Um, it was a lot of fun, but then the weather got warmer and I didn't have sleeves to cover both watches anymore. <laughs> so. <laughs> so you yeah. didn't want to walk around looking like a crazy person. I do that anyway. This just would have added to that. So, yeah, I I think my my first smartwatch was a I think Intel bought a company after a while, so it was a basic basic one or something. It was like the super dorky looking huge uh, device uh, that you mount to your wrist, and it had like heart rate sensors and uh, the most terrible user interface possible. There were like four four buttons on all corners, and depending on that, when you kind of hovered your finger over it, it would do different things. It was pretty weird. Um, I think they did a recall uh, a few years in, so I got a full refund at least. All right. Yeah, I don't think I had... I didn't own a smartwatch before the Apple Watch, but I did have a Jawbone, mm-hmm. which was pretty cool, but it kept on breaking. I think I had five different Jawbones. Were you taking too many steps? <laughs> no, maybe that's what I did wrong. I didn't <laughs> take any steps. Um, no, I, I did use it a lot, but what you notice with that one is that it's like a really rigid band, 
like it's really hard and if your wrist is not big enough if you have like quite a s slim wrist you're gonna keep on hitting the band and it's gonna try to like form with your with your wrist and then it's just like i think you bend all of the electronics that are inside so i think that's why it kept on breaking so yeah i, I like my apple watch and i think jabon went bust a year or two ago wonder why Speaking of the Apple Watch, um, I was just on the, the developer download site like not 20 minutes ago and noticed that the watchOS 5 beta has been pulled. Yep. Did either of you hear anything about that? I wasn't sure why. I think there's some issues with uh, installation. So if you're uh, updating from watchOS 4 to 5, a certain percentage of watches just never finish the update. And oh, wow. That's not fun. No. I no. feel, yeah, I think I, I heard about a few people who were running into a problem at the conference. Well, don't install better software. <laughs> yeah. So, so we should mention we're, we're here at WWDC, which is Apple's uh, Worldwide Developer Conference. We are in their podcast studio at the moment, which is why we sound so great. We got away from the main show. Uh, but yeah, so we're recording a podcast in the podcasting studio. And yeah, I think it's really nice. It's... Um, We've been talking about this before offline, and I think it's it's really cool how they have this polyfoam um, around us, and it's all shaped from Apple Apple logos and um, the podcasting app, Apple's podcasting app, and it's pretty cool, like purple light around us. I think it's nice. Um, I've seen a few different people starting to book it. I think some people didn't really know where the podcasting studio was. Then once the pictures started floating around the internet, I think it's a lot harder to to get a booking in. It's, it's definitely pretty nice in here. Yeah, yeah. I think there were a few things I want to talk about related to us starting a podcast, and I'm just thinking about. I wanted to look if if we could use the name So, and then I I went to Overcast and I searched for So, and I realized that you need to have at least two three characters in order for it to start the search. So ellipsis. <laughs> That's what I tried. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I have to do So ellipsis. Something something worth considering. What do you guys think about the food this year? It's good. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, as far as conference food goes, it's it's pretty good. Yeah. So I think I've been realizing after going to a few conferences, I think I'm a bit of a conference logistic nerd. Like, I'm really curious about seeing everything that goes on behind the scene on conferences and see how they prepare the food and what time they take out the food and how they handle, like, special dietary requirements. Like... It's a very niche thing to be interested in, but I always found it interesting to see because I, I do have a, I do require gluten-free food, and I'm always quite curious to see how they handle that and how they make sure that everyone gets the food they want. And I think it has been really like you, you really notice that being gluten-free or vegetarian seem to become more of a mainstream thing now, because at this conference they actually have just the vegan and the gluten-free food they just have in the middle of the hall so anyone who wants it can take it and it's never i think last yesterday we came in an hour after the lounge was starting to be served and everything was still there so they seem to still like stock up and it seemed to work quite well and i think the gluten-free food has actually been really good it tend to be a bit dry sometimes if you get that but i think it's been it's been really good you had some wraps and I really like all the dessert options that they have as well and all the breakfast options. Yep, there were some good cookies at lunch today, I thought. And I'm gluten-free too. I know, I know. I'm, I'm a bit curious if it was actually gluten-free because it was so good. Yeah, what do you guys think about the new Do Not Disturb feature? Are you guys going to use it? Yeah, so I'm pretty strict with Do Not Disturb as it is at the moment. My phone just lives in Do Not Disturb. And if I'm going to 
get a notification, I'm going to feel it on the Apple Watch first. Um, but I, I think that now that Do Not Disturb is actually useful, um, I might be able to use it a bit more and sort of come in and out of Do Not Disturb at different times of the day, uh, depending on where I am, things like that. Uh, it'd be great to see some of these features come across to the Apple Watch as well. Uh, I'm not sure how that works with, with the new Do Not Disturb features, if uh, it respects the settings on the phone, because at the moment it doesn't. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see once we've tried the betas. I think for me, it kind of shifts the way I'm, I'm using Do Not Disturb. At the moment, I, I pretty much have it set for night. I assume most people kind of have that. Whatever your, 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 um, the, the, the time you want to go to bed is you're estimating for, you set it to start then and kind of come back when you're waking up. Um, I think the new Do Not Disturb features means you can kind of um, move that into other parts of your life. Because at the moment you wouldn't really use Do Not Disturb for for our recording now, for example, you wouldn't really do that. You wouldn't. You might trigger it manually, but you would then have to remember taking it out. And I think the new features means you can quite easily um, say, "Hey, I want to. I want to not be disturbed during this this recording. I don't want to be disturbed while I'm in this place." And I think that kind of shifts my usage of Do Not Disturb. I'm not sure if I will actually use it, but but I think it's it's interesting to to use that to actually not um, disturb yourself rather than having it as a type of mute switch. You're actually f spending time and focusing on what you're doing rather than than uh, looking at your phone or watch every every five minutes. You know where the new do not disturb features would have come in handy, and actually the new notifications um, features in general was in a UI lab the other day. Oh uh, yeah, that was funny. <laughs> I just remembered. Uh, so, uh, some context: um, we're all in a in a UI lab at WWDC uh, on Tuesday morning, and I had my phone uh, demoing an app to to some Apple designers, and we were demonstrating a particular flow in the app, and um, there was a pay now button, and Marlon pressed it, and suddenly a very loud alert went off, and I think she turned around and said, have we always had that noise in there? <laughs> and at the time, my phone was on Do Not Disturb, so no notifications were visible, but the noise was actually completely unrelated to... Yeah, but it was like a cel almost like a celebrative no noise. It, it was quite, quite funny to hear, and it really fit the payment, like you had a successful payment. I'm going to see if I can play the alert now, actually. That would have been the alert. <laughs> yeah, I think it was really fitting, and I should pro we should propose that we should actually add that to the receipt. It's kind of like, hey, your successful payment. W what what is that alert for? Uh, that alert was letting me know that my blood sugar was too high. Yay for sugary American breakfasts. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't really sound like an alert to me. Sounds more like you're celebrating the cookie you just had. Maybe that's what it is. I mean, it isn't Amer like the developers are from the U.S., right? So. Yep. I mean, got to reward people for their cookies. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's also worth noting that that will no longer be possible in iOS 12 without user permission. Rewarding people for cookies. <laughs> So it's called Dexcom and it's continuous glucose monitor. And when the blood sugar is too high or low, it overrides system volume and it's using a hack to do that at the moment. Uh, but as of iOS 12, so actually as of iOS 11.4, that hack has been shut down. And in iOS 12, in order to override, uh, completely override system volume, an app must request explicit permission, which is great because previously 
no matter what scenario you're in, you could be at the theater, you know, you might need your phone to be completely silent. The only option to avoid those alerts is to turn off Bluetooth or disconnect the Dexcom in some way. Uh, but as of iOS 12, those type of alerts will need explicit user permission. And of course, as with any permission in iOS, you'll be able to turn it off, uh, which is really awesome. So, you know, the next time we're sitting down to record this show, if I'm running iOS 12, I can turn off those, those super loud alerts um, and then turn it back on at the end of the show. So I will not be disturbed. Uh, can any app request uh, permission to, to uh, have critical alerts? Do you know? You have to apply to Apple. So Apple are the judge here on, on whether your app warrants these critical alerts. The idea being they break through Do Not Disturb and they also break through um, like any notification settings you might have that, that prevents these alerts from getting through, such as in the middle of the night. Um, so yeah, you'll have to apply th through Apple. I think it's a perfect use case for medical apps that need to alert uh, users about real-time things. Uh, but I don't imagine Facebook are getting special permissions anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> what? Facebook is a medical app, right? I'm actually most excited or unreasonably excited about the new new additions to TestFlight. Um, with TestFlight, you can now have um, public links to invite people to, to your TestFlight betas. And you actually have a lot of control around that. So what, what happens at the moment is you either manually enter email addresses in, in App Store Connect or you um, have to kind of use something like the Fastlane tools to, to kind of provide a website which then adds it to, to iTunes Connect. What you can do now instead is uh, generate a link. So it's a, it's a link people can go, go to and then fill out information. And as a developer, you have a few options of how you want to restrict that. You can say, this is a new group. This group should have, let's say, uh, 100 available slots. And you share the link. The first 100 people that sign up get a slot. And after that, it says something to the extent of, hey, there are no, no, more, no more slots left in, in the beta. And I think that's actually really nice. Uh, it's, it's really nice for, um, for people that want to just have a bigger beta round because you, know, you want to have some people to, to test your stuff before it goes out on the store, but also for um, for apps where you're, uh, like at the moment when we're, when we're working with customers and we want to send them some stuff early, um, a lot of people actually struggle quite a lot with the uh, test flight onboarding step because you, you have to get the email address first, then you send them an email and then that has to be often, then you have to log in with your uh, Apple account to then actually attach that download the test flight app and anything that makes that process easier i think is a, is a huge step do you know if you still have access to your beta testers email addresses once they've signed up good question i don't know because that could be something uh, gdpr related to avoid you having to handle anyone's email addresses mm -hmm. but in the same time i feel like um, a good reason why you get beta users is so that you should be able to you should be able to keep on communicating with them while they're doing the beta testing and I wonder how limited the sort of conversation while they're testing the app will be if you don't have their email address. So will they still be able to report, but maybe they have a hidden email address? Well, I guess that puts the onus on them to initiate the conversation, right? So at the moment, if you mm. go to send feedback to a developer, it does say, are you okay with your email address being shared with this developer? As with any email sent, you can, you can see the email address it comes from. Um, but I think that's a pretty explicit opt-in. Hey, I'm, I'm willing to share my email address with this developer that you know, I'm beta testing your app for, uh, as opposed to, oh, I have to give them my email address up front. Mm, yeah, yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I do definitely agree that this will just make the process a lot simpler because I think sometimes if you, if you, have, a, if you have an app for mainstream users and you want to invite those people, I think 
it's difficult. It's always a bit back and forth just to explain how the whole process is working. And I think to some some in some situations, it's almost better if you just meet up with the person and help them install your app. And I think if you can if you can make those this a bit more a bit smoother and a bit more automated, I think that's really going to help. About a year ago, I sent out a beta to some friends and family, and I really wanted feedback from non-technical people. And I actually attached a two-page guide to the email explaining how to install that first beta. Uh, I know not everyone needed it, but it was definitely useful in some cases because that flow is pretty tedious. Yeah, I agree. Live follow-up looks like you're not actually getting access to email addresses. That's pretty uh, cool. You will see the installation type, which would be public link. And the name, at least on the sample sites during slides during the session, says anonymous. So there's definitely more more protection for privacy. That's a pretty good step. Yeah, happy with that. Yeah. So that's even if you send once you send the email, it's still going to be anonymous. The the slide is only for the public links. Okay. okay. I think that's fine, right? If you want to join a beta and remain anonymous, you can. But as soon as you want to send feedback, you want to give them an email address so that the developer can respond. So. At the moment, if you go to send uh, some beta feedback, it says, when you send beta feedback, you're sharing your email address with a developer. So it's a pretty explicit opt-in. I'm also really excited about that. But another thing that I, I really like, and I think also really excited about as well, is um, everything new related to testing. I think it's great to see that Apple is putting so much focus on testing. And I think Kai and I, we both, uh, yeah, we both went to the testing session, and then after that, we went to the to the lab. And I was also really pleasantly i mean i was it was a bit annoying to have to queue up but i was very excited to see how many people were in line for that session for that lab i think it was almost like wrapping around two walls or something just for the, for the people who were lining up wanting to talk to engineers and i think it's something that engineers do want to test they want the quality of their code um but it's yeah it's, it's great to see someone like apple actually supporting that more and yeah see how many people are interested in getting help for that um, the specific part that Kai and I went to was the UI testing, and I think a lot of people had questions about that. And I think sometimes using the UI testing framework is not very straightforward. You need to play around with it a bit through like recording, and maybe sometimes you also have to look through the logs to see what element you actually want to access. And I think that's something that it seemed like the engineers were aware of, that that's sort of like, it's something everyone is not aware of yet. Everyone doesn't know how to how to use the how to write a UI test, and I think hopefully that means that Apple is either working on it and improving it, or at least adding more documentation for people to be able to pick it up quickly. Um, so yeah, that's something I'm really excited about, and the cont the the multiple test builds or multiple tests at the same time. So you can now have, depending on what machine you're running it on, you can now have multiple simulators running at the same time, running UI tests, and I think that's always like a big bottleneck if you if you wanna just commit your commit your changes and want to make sure that it passes all the tests before i think having to wait for ev every test to go through after one another is taking really long time so yeah I'm, I'm very happy with that i'm hoping um it's something that more and more people take advantage of and it sort of pushes people to actually write more ui tests and it also seems like apple's becoming more serious about uh supporting the ui tests in general the testing tools um, as part of that, they also um, now when you run your test, you actually get a testing bundle in the end. So if you have any issues with your tests and you think it's a bug and you want to send that off to Apple for for uh, to radar, 
you can actually s uh, upload the entire testing bundle and that kind of includes uh, all the test parameters, um, the log of the test, uh, screenshots of the, the test running, which should make it a lot easier to figure out if there are any issues, if there are any problems that might be related to test tools rather than, than your actual uh, host application. So is Xcode now taking screenshots as the test runs? Xcode has done that for a while, actually. Um, it's now just that you have the, the bundle that includes all of that in, in kind of one, one, one file that you can pass on. So could we as developers, while we run the test, could we also get access to, to the screenshots that are being taken throughout the test? Yeah, you can. I don't think it does any filming though, right? It doesn't record it. It no, only does, still does the screenshots. No, it's only screenshots. Well, that's good. You can probably use that for your app submission as well. I would recommend using tools like Fastlane and Snapshot yeah. for that instead. It is it is probably a lot easier because you actually get specific points that you're interested in. Yeah, Apple. I think Apple just takes screenshots at random intervals or based on when they're when they're kind of setting up the graph of the user interface. So if there are significant changes, they will take a snapshot. But it's not as reliable as you would have when you're actually actually explicitly trying to take a screenshot. Anything else that you guys are excited about related to related to a conference? I went to an interesting session this morning, the new, um, or it was a session about background audio in watchOS, uh, which is now a thing. Um, so previously, uh, every all apps that run audio in the background on watchOS were sort of doing it uh, as a bit of a hack, but now it's, it's natively supported, which is really good. I think it's going to allow for a whole new class of, of podcasting apps and audiobook apps on the watch. Uh, but there is still one sort of pain point at the moment, and that's file transfer. So the issue of getting a file, an audio file onto the watch is still quite tedious and quite slow. If you have a connection to the phone, it's always going to prefer that Bluetooth connection, uh, which can be quite slow, especially if you're transferring a you know, 70 megabyte podcast. It might be fine for a song or two, um, but yeah, it can be an issue with, with larger audio files. So as excited as I am for what third-party devs are going to come up with as far as podcasting goes on the watch, I think uh, it would be great to see that limitation of file transfer lifted uh, on the watch. And it could be as simple as... Um, so, you know, it sort of looks at battery level and looks at how much load the system's under and then decides, oh, okay, it's perfectly fine to send the file over Wi-Fi for a bit. Or, um, you know, oh, it's only 20% battery left. We really need to conserve it. We're not going to download that over cellular. We'll try and get it through Bluetooth if we can. Uh, but I think, you know, if you've just taken your watch off the charger, you're on 80 or 90%. There's no real uh, big deal in, in sending quick, a file quickly over, over Wi-Fi. At least we now have a progress where you can show how long it will take. Yes, that is nice. Instead of just your file is transferring. Yeah, we can now say we're going through Bluetooth, so we'll take a day. That also gets rid of the need to do a lot of hacky things like breaking the file into 10 different chunks and, and having progress indicators at every 10% mark. Speaking of music, by the way, what do you guys think of the bat? Are you guys excited for it? Uh, they announced that Paddington the Disco is going to play. I think uh, Zach predicted that about uh, exactly a year ago. Yeah, I think uh, 364 days ago, I tweeted something along the lines of... Looking at your Twitter timeline? Uh, I'm not, but I will. Um, <laughs> I tweeted something along the lines of, I think Panic will play the next year's Bash. I mean, it make, made sense after getting Good Charlotte a couple of years ago and Fallout Boy last year. Uh, sort of Panic at the Disco, the next logical... Um, step there so you clearly had the biggest scoop for this year's uh, wwdc i know right better than german so i am really looking forward to the bash but i do think it's it's really hard when it's good music at the bash because you want to listen to the music but you also want to talk to people because there's so many people you notice on the friday that there are lots fewer people at the conference so you really want to take this opportunity to actually talk to people and last year they had other things like um 
you could play like cornhole and mini golf as well yeah, so i think that's pretty cool so i think i think that i'm looking forward to that but first i'm gonna go to a session i'm gonna go to the session called a tour of ui collection view and i think it's interesting that they do have a collection view talk because i think last year they didn't have any talks about collection views and it was sort of like i think a lot of people in the industry a lot of developers have been talking about that table view is dead and everything's going to move over to collection views so i was quite pleasantly surprised about seeing, seeing how much love the table view last got last wwdc so it's interesting now to see what approach they're taking with the collection view i think collection views you can get you can get a lot of benefits of it but i think some developer even went to the extent that they used a collection view instead of a table view even if they only needed to display a single column of cells so i'm looking forward to that session just to see what apple's take on it is and what angle they t put on it um maybe they can point out more specific use case on how they use it yeah i don't think there's anything new in collection view this year or table table view for that matter there's i think there are quite a lot of internal uh, improvements to to have better scrolling speed and those kind of things but i i don't think for developers there's anything we need to do to to get any of those benefits no, that's exactly why I'm interested to see what that session actually is going to be about. Just because I think it's something, it might be more of a opinionated talk, talking about why why we use collection views or when they prefer collection views. I wonder if they want us using collection views more ahead of Marzipan next year. Yeah. UI kit on the Mac. Speaking of next year, um, now with DubDub being kind of coming to an end, we should also consider... Uh, our our early prediction session for for what are you expecting next year? What do you think next year will be all about? We, it's it's rare that we actually get a sneak peek on on what's kind of in the pipeline. Yeah, so what do you think? Yeah, at least at least with development tools, I think we we got other things. Other things we start to get sneak peeks on, like the Mac Pro, the iMac Pro, and AirPower. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's interesting that they release something so early on, or they mention something on the Mac so early on, and I wonder. I wonder what the reason behind that was, because I do feel like that could actually limit certain... Like, if, if, if certain developers are thinking about starting their new Mac app this year, they probably they might even hold off on making the Mac app for another year because they want to see what's coming out in a year. So I think... I wonder what the reasoning behind that was. I think that's a that's a good point there. That I mean, now that they're, they're able to drum up excitement for the next year, everyone knows that it's coming. So even if people do hold off, the... You know, they've got a year to prepare to plan for when it does come and they can take advantage of it then. Also, we're going to be speaking about it for the next year. So from a word of mouth marketing point of view, it's probably a great move. Um, yeah. I guess the other the other thing to consider is that the rumors were pretty strong for this feature about six months ago. And then a couple of months ago, it sort of was known that it wasn't coming this year. And I think if if they were silent about it, maybe it would appear as though it's never coming. But then again, we got we got four four of the apps on on Mojave already use uh, the new UI kit on macOS, so Steve Trout and Smith would probably spend no more than five minutes to figure out what's going on there, and then it would be his his scoop on on uh, Apple's new development frameworks. So it kind of makes sense that Apple want to just um, talk about it and announce it themselves rather than having someone someone on Twitter uh, spilling the beans. Yeah, I agree. And I think coming up on stage and saying that they have released a Mac app, for a Mac version of stocks and Apple News, I think even though that might be very exciting and a use case for people, I think it's, it's a little bit random if you don't mention why you did it. I think uh, people would wonder why it's those specific apps. And like I say, I think you would probably, some people would probably draw the conclusion themselves. And yeah, it's better if, if Apple sort of 
yeah, controls that instead. And Apple usually doesn't pre-announce things that would cut into their own sales. So with the first iPhone that was announced uh, way early, same for the HomePod. The HomePod was announced quite a lo long time before it actually shipped because Apple didn't have any comp competing products. So they didn't really cut into their own sales with it. And I think that's, I mean, it's not a consumer product with the, um, with the project sneak peek. But um, it's kind of the same thing. Apple was very, very clear on that this is not supposed to be a replacement for AppKit. This is more of a way of, of bringing um, apps that are currently not available for macOS or that currently wrap their web view into, into something that feels better on a Mac. I don't think a lot of um, um, pro user or, or power user Mac apps will now uh, go go out of their way to rewrite their their apps in, in this kind of UI kit. It looks more like an iPad app. It's not it's getting us pretty close, but it's still AppKit is still the way to go for for macOS focused apps, I think. So you don't really have this problem of of trying to um to not announce it because uh people will not do make apps for a year. What apps are you hoping to see come across from iOS that maybe wouldn't make sense as a standalone Mac app written in AppKit that makes sense written in UIKit and brought across? I, I'm hoping for most of the apps that are currently um, basically electron wrappers. So things like um, Slack is a great candidate. Their, their iOS app is pretty decent. Um, and the Mac app is the thing that everyone complains about every time they, they have a chance and someone's listening. So I think that would be a great candidate to just instead of shipping their their web view, uh, ship the ship the iOS app or the Mac, uh, the iPad app on a Mac instead. Similar for Spotify, I think Spotify is, is also uh, an Electron app. I think those types of apps that that are clearly um, getting a lot more attention on iOS, just to bring those into macOS and replace replace the web wrap wrappers. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I think. Um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully something like Slack will be more native and have a native feel because I think a lot of people um, they prefer using the iOS app when they can, and I think if you can get that experience over to the Mac, that would be good, even if it might not be as um, it's it's not a pro app or a pro tool in in that way. But I think it that's why it's a perfect candidate for something like this. But I think it's also good for indie developers. A lot of indie developers have to be quite um, strict with their time time budget. It's it takes a lot more time to to write an entire AppKit app than it does to at least from what we've heard so far. It seems somewhat uh, easier to to port your uh, iOS apps over to macOS with this kind of UI kit on on macOS. So I think like apps like uh, Overcast it clearly has a focus on on um, to be consumed on mobile devices. But if it's if it's like a day of work or two days of work to to bring it over to Mac, why not? Yeah. I even think it's beneficial for the iPad. I think there are a lot of apps that currently do not really they they're definitely um, iPhone focused, and even the the iPad apps don't get a lot of love. They're kind of uh, they kind of work, but they're not really getting a lot of attention or as much attention as a lot of iPad users would like. And now knowing that um, your apps will be uh, available both on 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 an iPad and macOS, all the optimizations you're doing to support larger screens, you'll get in on iPad and the Mac. So I think it's just now that you're making an iOS app, and if you don't think you want to make an AppKit app, you can now have an app that um, where the other attention pays off both in 
in the UI kit on macOS and on, on, on the larger iOS devices like the iPad. So I do think it's even good news for, for iPad users. Yeah, absolutely. And going back to the original question, I mean, what we're expecting to see next year, I think they've laid the foundations for, for dark mode on iOS as well. I mean, that's come to the Mac this year, um, but there's, there's some new APIs that sort of look like they could be useful in about a year's time. Um, mm. So I think that, that's definitely something. Uh, I know there's, there's talk of a redesign as well, um, and that those foundations are possibly in place, and it'd be a good time with, with a potential dark mode to sort of adjust the look and feel of iOS a little bit. Yeah, I think a lot of people expected dark mode to be available for the iPhone first or uh, like an, an iOS, uh, dark mode on iOS. And I think that was, I think a lot of people thought about that just because the iPhone 10 was released and you do have an OLED screen and the dark mode would be perfect for that. So why do you guys think that they decided to go with the Mac, Mac first, go with dark mode on Mac before they went on iOS? I would guess that it's just because it's ready now. Yeah, I'm thinking... I mean, it's ready now, but that's they could, that's just because they prioritized doing it on the Mac. Do you, so you think they're working on the iOS simultaneously and it wasn't done? I think Apple has a lot of focus on the pro user group over last year and this year. And I just think dark mode is a very um, a feature that's requested a lot by pro users. Like all the pro apps are already kind of having a dark mode themselves, just that the rest of the, the operating system doesn't really... Um, match that style so i just think considering that most of the pro work is still happening on macs pro apps hap happen to have often a kind of dark darker theme to make the content you're working on be kind of the center of attention it makes sense to have the platform where that is happening to be the first one to adopt a dark mode i think on ios you're getting more benefits from a uh energy savings perspective now when we have the iphone 10 being being an oled screen mm -hmm. everything that's dark you basically turn the pixels off right so you you get energy savings from that and um come next year we'll probably have a way more ios devices that use uh, oled screens instead of lcds so um i think on, on ios there's just less demand from pro users and also the, the energy savings they will get to if they want to keep on with oled screens i think I certainly see some issues with the OLED screen when you have a very a very white UI. I think sometimes it tends to green, and I think you have some miscoloration uh, on the OLED screen. And I wonder if this is an indication that they're moving away from OLED screens, or I think OLED is here to stay for a while. Um, all the next next generations of of display technologies are still years away, and I don't think. Um, Apple is usually not really uh, the company to adopt new te uh, display technologies uh, first on on the uh, on the small devices because it's just really hard to manufacture in the scale Apple's manufacturing at the moment anything that's kind of brand new for for display technologies. Maybe what we should do is to wrap up here and go and get a coffee because I noticed that it tends to take some time if you want to have espresso-based coffee here. Um, most of the Cafes are occupied by Australians looking for looking for espresso-based coffee. So if you want to get a coffee before the next session, I think it's good to line up now. As much as Marlon is a uh, conference organization nerd, she's also a uh, coffee barista productivity nerd. Yeah. We were standing in line for about 45 minutes and Marlon uh, uh, telling me uh, ways they could improve their workflow to, to uh, increase the coffee throughput. I was observing them a lot and I feel a bit bad for, for looking at them so much. But yeah, I feel like they have a, they have a lot of processes that they could improve on to make um, more coffees at once. 
Marlon asked me, do you think I should go and help them? I think I should help them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think maybe um, uh, the coffee is really good, so I'm not complaining about that. I just think we were talking to another friend, we felt like, uh, um, um, and he was saying that it feels like they got the, they nailed down on the quality of the coffee. Now they just gotta speed up the speed up the process. I think maybe next year we will get our coffee a bit quicker. So, but with that, we should probably start standing in line now, so we get our coffee for our next session. All right. All right. Thanks, everyone. See ya. Bye. Bye. See ya.